I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we talk about the human nature of Jesus and how we may not realize how often we ignore it. Hey guys, so um, I actually had a pretty um, terrible week. I uh, I accidentally swallowed an entire vial of food coloring. Yeah, I called poison control and I said I'm fine, but I feel like I'm dying on the inside. I'll give you a second for that one. Hi everyone, welcome back to episode 61. Um, just me again this week. Uh, please continue to pray for Jenna, uh, and hopefully we'll get back together again at some point soon. Um, we've both been, I, our whole house was sick a little bit after their house was sick, and so in uh, an effort not to cross-contaminate, we um, haven't even seen each other in a couple weeks, so that's a big bummer, but um, she's with us in spirit this episode, and uh, I'm really excited for this episode. We're going to be talking about something I've been talking about a lot in conversations lately. I hope you enjoy it, but let's get into uh, our peak pit plug um, for the week. Um, I realized as I've been doing this that I think I did Joy Junk Jesus the past few weeks and I should be doing peak pit plug. So yeah, but I'm looking at my notes and I just did Joy Junk Jesus. So whatever, we'll do peak pit plug next time. So <clears throat> Joy Junk Jesus, joy uh, or a peak of my last two weeks is that we announced that we're having a baby boy. Um, yes, we are. Um, if you didn't know, we were pregnant with number two and still pregnant with number two and uh, baby. It is a baby boy. Baby boy is due June 3rd. And we're super excited about that. Uh, my pit or my junk moment is that I have been sick for weeks and I'm not really contagious anymore. I'm not really sick. Don't really have what I had anymore. But the symptoms are lingering as if you've gotten this cold or flu thing that's been going around, you probably know that too. They call it like the 100 day cold because it just seems to stick around forever. So um, that's been a bummer. And like I said, I haven't seen my best friend Jenna in a couple weeks because of the stupid cold. So um, yeah, I really miss her. And um, yeah, that's been a bummer. Um, so my Jesus moment um, is that I um, was speaking at a church at Jenna's old parish where she was um, youth minister. I mean, she still goes there, I believe, um, but uh, San Francisco Solano last night. And at the end of the talk that I gave, um, a young woman was passing me. I think she was a leader, but she may have been a teen or a teen leader. And um, I thought she was going to say that she loved the talk as people were like, you know, affirming me in that as they were um, passing me, which I really appreciated. Um but instead, she said, I love your podcast. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it totally made my night. I didn't catch your name. So if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I want to shout out to you. Thank you for listening. Uh, please, like, tag us in a post or something or share this episode so I know who you are so I can pray for you. And if you want any particular episode on a question you have or any topic you're interested in, please let me know because that really just made my night last night. So, um, yeah, whoever you are, thank you. Um, and instead of a Jesus moment, also do a plug because I totally forgot that we we're doing peak pit plug. Um, I want to plug for uh, taking a day off. 
Um, I had a pretty few busy weeks this last week, and so I made a conscious effort to take an extra day off to make sure I had a day off with family, um, and I didn't let work or other commitments kind of get in the way of that time, and it was just really awesome to have that time, um, you know, that quality time, and I know sometimes, especially if you're in ministry, it's just like, well, this week is just going to be a busy week, but we don't really take that time off after to really, like, even it out or that time off in the middle to really give us a break so we don't get burnt out, and so I want to encourage you, whatever you do for a living, whatever's going on. We all rack up like vacation days, sick days, like especially if you have a job, like just take a day off, you know, just take a personal day, take a vacation day, middle of the week. You're always going to have stuff to do. There's always going to be deadlines, things going on. Nobody's going to die. Nothing's going to explode if you don't meet them. Um, Take a day off. I just want to encourage you to do that this week or next week. Just take a day off and have a, a staycation day with your family or just to relax and just to do you know, some things that you need to get done to have coffee with a friend, to go to the beach, you know, whatever. Um, so that's my plug for you. <clears throat> so this episode, I'm really excited about it. I've been having conversations about this a lot with people. I want to talk about the human nature of Jesus. And I know that seems like a very simple topic. Like we know that Jesus became man. That's like a fundamental belief of being Christian, right? That Jesus, the incarnation, he became flesh um, and he, you know, died for our sins and rose from the dead. It seems pretty foundational. Like why would we need to do a whole episode about this? We kind of get it. But I'm finding in a lot of my conversations and in my own experience in prayer and and a lot of what I experience in the way we talk about Jesus um, that we can kind of ignore the fact that he was human. We know that he's human. We talk about it, but we don't really let it sink in. We ignore it without knowing that we're ignoring it. And so whether you know this or not, we believe, at least in the Catholic tradition, that Jesus had two natures. He had a divine nature and a human nature. And it wasn't half and half. We believe that he was 100% human and that we believe he was also 100% divine. And I know that adds up to 200%. It's one of those mysteries that goes beyond our laws of space, time, and matter that we won't understand this side of heaven. But we know it has to be true logically, and the early church even discovered this, that it had to be true in the first few centuries after Jesus' death and resurrection, that he had to have a complete human nature, because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to be born, live a human life, and die. He wouldn't have been able to die if he wasn't completely human. But he has to be completely divine because he also wouldn't be able to do the things that he did and especially rise from the dead. And so he can't just be partially those things or he would have been limited in those natures. And so we call that teaching or that reality of Jesus the hypostatic union. Um, and it, it, the word basically means like having two natures or, you know, um, there's a union between those essences that he has, those ways of beings that he has. Um, and so the early church and all throughout history, we've understood, at least theologically, that these are equally important. But I think, and I don't know if you'll come to realize this in the next couple minutes as I ask you some questions, but I think that we often toss aside his, human, his humanity, his human nature. We don't take it seriously enough, or we kind of like perfectionize it, or we deify it. We still make it like better than our humanity. Uh, and yes, Jesus never sinned, so he shared in everything it, in our human nature but sin. However, we forget that he shared in everything in our human nature but sin. And that and I mean everything. And so I want to talk about that a little bit because I don't think we really we really get to the depth of what that everything is. And I really think if you do, it can make Jesus so present to you in your best and worst moments in your life, whatever mood you're in, whatever you're going through to recognize like, wow, no, like Jesus really is as close to me as anyone can be. And so if you've ever felt like, 
God is far away, that God is distant, that God doesn't understand, or he's not there, or you've ever had this idea like, where is God? I need to go find him again, or I can't really hear him right now. I think all of it kind of stems from this reality that we we don't we don't treat Jesus as the full human that he was and continues to be. And so um, I want to ask you a question that I think will help determine if you fall into this trap sometimes, because I know I do. But when you think of Jesus, most often when you think of Jesus, what mood is he in? So I'm not talking about like who is Jesus to you, like brother, friend, teacher, savior, what God, whatever. I'm, I'm, I, I want you to think about what mood, if you look at the face of Jesus in the way that you most typically imagine him as God, what mood is he in? Well, when you talk to him, what mood is he in? When you go to him in prayer as Jesus, God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, what mood is he most often in? <clears throat> and in thinking about this question and asking this question to people, I find that the answers I typically get are things like, you know, serene, loving, gentle, compassionate, joyful, cool, reliable, uh, excited, compassionate, um, happy, you know, uh, and they're really all adjectives that are true. You know, there's not anything untrue about that, but they're kind of all confined to a category of adjectives that could also describe a golden retriever. Like, so, so unconditionally loving, joyful, happy, there, like maybe just comforting, you know, that's, that, those all describe a golden retriever, you know what I mean? And so I think when you realize that, it's kind of like, okay, God's not a golden retriever, like he obviously encompasses those adjectives in some parts of his nature, but Jesus as a human, he obviously experienced the full range of human emotion. And if you don't think about this, like I, I imagine when I ask you that question, what mood is Jesus most often in? All of those could kind of be characterized in a general category of happy, positive, right? Um, very few of us will characterize them in the others. Four main emotions, and I'll go through all four of them. But happiness, pretty much all of our normal adjectives for Jesus could probably fit in that category of positive, happy. Maybe he has compassion and empathy for where we're at, but him in general, he's happy, right? That's probably how we characterized him. And we see that this is really true, you know, but um, it wasn't also this <clears throat> supernatural pious joy that we like always personify it as. Like, yes, he had a supernatural pious joy probably at times, but I think when we think about Jesus happy, it's this kind of like everything is beautiful. Everything's about the Lord. Everything is like this kind of divine happiness, we probably don't think of Jesus as happy to where like Jesus was la Jesus laughing so hard that like food is coming out of his nose. You know, have you ever thought about Jesus like that? Like he's eating food and he laughs so hard like food comes out of his nose or he's like choking on his food because he's laughing so hard. You may not think of him that way, but that's, you know, we can characterize him that way because of what we read in the Bible. Like in, in Matthew chapter 11 and in Luke chapter 7, people called Jesus a drunkard and a glutton, and they wouldn't have done that if they didn't think he was kind of tiny bit acting like one. Like he was having a good time with people. Not to say that I don't want you to believe or think that I'm saying like Jesus fell into the sin of drunkenness or gluttony, but he was probably exuding some kind of you know, excitement or joy that was beyond like the stoic, pious nature of some of the other rabbis or Pharisees that they looked at and pointed at him and saying like, oh, you shouldn't be like this. Um, in Matthew 11, the son of man came eating and drinking and they said, look, is he, look, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is vindicated by her works. So it's, it's clear that like, 
Jesus did things. He behaved in a way when he was happy around a table with friends, with family, celebrating, sharing meals together, which he did often, that was kind of this exuberant happiness that, you know, he was laughing and behaving in such a way that they could call him, you know, a drunkard or a glutton. And he obviously wasn't. But if he was like pious and stoic all the time and just had this kind of serene joy, nobody would have ever bought that accusation. You know, they never would have made it. It wouldn't have made any sense. Same thing in Luke 7. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, look, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Like, you know, there obviously had to be a little bit of evidence that could have been twisted to make them believe that that was something he was doing. And so Jesus, you know, we even when we think of his happiness, we we kind of, we, we make it a little more pious. We make it very serene. We make it very containable, very um, um, proper. And I think Jesus was probably, you know, laughing out loud, you know, having a good time, uh, mingling around at the wedding at Cana, you know, probably cracking jokes, telling stories, like, and, and was having a great time and not committing any sin doing it, like not doing it in an inappropriate way, but in a way we often don't characterize him, right? <clears throat> think about, you know, that's one of the four main human emotions. The second one is sadness. Maybe you characterize Jesus as sad or serene because you think of Jesus primarily maybe on the cross. I think this is maybe the other somewhat less common, but maybe more frequent mood we might attribute to Jesus. Um, but when we think of sad, I think we also make this more of a pious sadness. We, we see all these depictions of him on the cross, just kind of with his eyes closed, looking down to the side, you know, but he was in agony, in agony on the cross, probably screaming or crying out like in, in sheer pain and torture. And to think of other times when he was sad, like when at the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11, you know, verse 35 is the shortest verse in all of scripture where it just says, and Jesus wept. Um, but when we think of wept, like we think of, I think just like he, he quieted himself and tear, like maybe one tear came down. It, like, no, like weeping is like ugly snot crying, like pounding your fist in the dirt, crying, yelling at the ground or at the sky. Like, why is this happening? Like Jesus, he did that. Like it, that's human nature. That's a human emotion. And he didn't just make that. He didn't like perfectionize sadness. Like he shared in everything in our humanity. He knows what it's like to be truly upset, truly sorrowful. Do you characterize Jesus that way when you think of Jesus as sad or as in pain or in agony? Do you really see it in the depth of the human way that we've experienced it? Or do you you deify it? Do you make it more perfect, more appropriate, more uh, palatable? Because I think that's part of this problem where we're, we're paying, we're letting Jesus's divine nature, not that it's not important, it's so important, but we're, laking, we're, we're letting it dominate the human nature to where we ignore the human nature. And it makes Jesus less relatable. And that's not what Jesus came. He came to be literally a human, to be the most relatable that he could possibly be. And so we're, we're setting up an obstacle when we do this to allow Jesus to um, be fully present to us uh, and to allow us to, to be uh, fully vulnerable with him because we think he may not understand. Um, so happy, sadness. What are the other two human emotions? Anger. Uh, we have that this one instance of Jesus angry with the money changers in, uh, in the temple. This is probably the most... Uh, often characterize one. And it's always tossed aside as like, yes, but it was righteous anger. He had to do it. He was exacting his justice. And I think that softens the anger a little bit. And now I'm not saying that Jesus committed the sin of anger, but I think like he, he was probably stewing, you know, and he was probably, like it says in John chapter two, when you go read this in John chapter two, verse 15, 
He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You catch that first phrase? He made a whip. He didn't grab a whip. He didn't go buy a whip. He didn't borrow a whip. He sat down and made a whip with his bare hands. Like, I don't know how long that takes, but I imagine, like, to make a good whip, like 15, 30 minutes at least. If you have the materials, but then you got to go find the materials, you got to sit down. And he's like, at no point in this does he like calm down. Like, he's just like, oh, like, you're going to get it. Like, you're going to know, you're going to know that this is not okay. Like, you know, like he's really stewing and really like getting to the point where he's going to like pop a gasket, you know, and not again, not committing the sin of anger. But I think we need to recognize that we dehumanize that anger, just like we dehumanize his sadness and his happiness. And lastly, the fourth uh, emotion, and you probably didn't think of this at all as a possible answer for what mood um, you most often find Jesus in. You may have said anger because you think Jesus is angry with you a lot, and I want that right now for you to know that's a lie from the devil. Like, Jesus is not angry with you. Jesus gets angry at the things that happen to you or the effects that sin has on your life, but he's never angry at you. He's never angry at you saying, like, oh, you're bad. You're not doing what you're supposed to, so therefore, you know, I don't love you. Like, that's a lie. Okay, so if you ever characterize Jesus that way, know that that's a lie from the devil. But the fourth emotion is fear, being afraid. We probably never characterize Jesus this way. Uh, And it's definitely not the one we go to first. But we have evidence of this in Scripture. If you read Luke chapter 22, verse 44, when he's in the agony in the garden, um, he was in such agony and he prayed so fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. That he literally became so anxious, so afraid at what was going to happen, he sweat blood. That's a real physical human condition. It's called hematohydrosis, where your capillaries and your pores break down and they burst and the blood seeps out of your pores because you're so stressed um, that it just has this effect on your body. Like that is a real human condition that his body succumbed to. And even though he was the son of God and even though he was going to rise from the dead and even though he may have had, you know, divine knowledge beyond what we have as he walked on this earth, he still experienced the fullness and depth of human emotion. And yet when we act in our relationship with God, when we call out to him, when we characterize him, when we ask him for things, I think we only act on his divine nature. We dehumanize him and his emotions. We try and make it more comfortable, more palatable, more pious. And then when we try and walk the Christian path, we end up trying, instead of allowing God to be present to our human reality and our human imperfection, we try and dehumanize ourselves to be more like him. Do you ever do this? Where in, when, when you feel like, okay, what does it look like to be a good Christian? You think about like, well, God's up here at this level. And so I got to I gotta like say no to the things that are human. I got to say no to the things that are in human nature, the worldly things. And I kind of need to elevate or like self-actualize, kind of reach that almost like in Buddhism and things like that. I have to reach this place where I'm in kind of this perfect relationship with God. And I need to, to get to this ideal uh, human level to where I'm, I'm basically divine. You know, I'm basically living in the divine. And you may not characterize it that way verbally. You may not say that out loud, but I think a lot of us do that, right? We're like, oh, these are, you got to be going to daily mass. You got to be going to chapel. You got to, you know, always be thinking about the Lord, always be evangelizing. And it's kind of like, we're get we're like creating this staircase that we have to climb up. And then to be a good Christian means that we always have to be climbing upstairs or at the top, striving for the top. And when we're not, that means we're all the way down at the bottom and God is up there on the top and he's far away. 
and that in, in, in any effort to be holy, to get where we need to be, we've got to get up there. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive for better. You should. But it's a recognition that, like, we're human. We have a fallen nature. We are always going to sin. Always. You're never going to get to a point in your life where you are perfect and you never commit a sin. Especially never, like, in your thoughts, you know? Like, yeah, your, your thoughts are not sins, but, like, your thoughts will always tend towards sinful things because it's our fallen human nature. Now, you may get to a point where you never fall into mortal sin that gravely separates you from God. And that really, I think, is our main goal in holiness, is to really get to a point where we're never in a state of mortal sin and we're actively living a relationship with God. But I think the more and more we try and get to a point where we're like, no sin is part of my life at all, and I got to be this like perfect disciple of the Lord, it's unrealistic. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and live as saints, but like the saints had their tics and their mannerisms and their tempers and their bad habits. I, I once read an article, I think I shared this on the podcast, um, and it really, it, it amazed me and kind of scandalized me a little bit, but in a really good way after I finished it was um, saints that smoked. And I was like, it was this list of saints that like they knew, like they smoked cigars or cigarettes or pipes or whatever it is. I don't know if cigarettes existed, you know, for most saints' lives in the way that they do today um, with all the chemicals and things. But still, like, I was like, wow, I never think of saints like that. And I guarantee you, we never think of Jesus like that. And I'm not saying Jesus smoked, but I'm saying like, <clears throat> we never think of Jesus with those type of human habits, those type of human things that he could fall into. And yeah, he never sinned. <laughs> But we really need to um, make sure that we're not characterizing his human nature um, as something like this perfect ideal that we need to attain to be holy, because that can lead either to feel like we are so far away from God constantly that we're never going to get to where we need to be, or it can lead to the sense of pride that's like, look at me up here on the top of the staircase I created for myself, and look at all you people down there. You need to get where I am. You need to know the truth that I do. You need to, um, you know, practice the way that I do. You need to go to the masses that I do. You need to, you know, like, and all these little divisions within Catholicism about, like, what it means to be holy, what it means to be right in terms of uh, church practice, church uh, teaching, all of these things. Um, it's kind of from that mentality, like, I'm up here on my staircase. I've got it figured out. I'm closer to Jesus than you are. And really, I think Jesus is saying, like, that's not why I came. Like, it's not about you elevating yourself to become more like me. It's about the fact that I descended to become more like you. Like, that's the reason for the incarnation. And if you don't believe this, go to the catechism and read paragraphs 457 to 460. It's It characterizes the four reasons for the incarnation. The four reasons. Four reasons why God became flesh. Number one, to save us by reconciling us with God to reconcile us with God. So recognizing that there was a <clears throat> a fault in our human nature, that we are going to sin, we have sinned, that we are always going to sin, that's always going to be part of our human nature, and that we need to be reconciled with God. We need to have the opportunity to be without sin, to be in relationship with God forever in heaven. But that doesn't mean that Jesus came to make us all perfect, that he came to make us all like God. That's not what it means. Um, and I know there's a phrase in, that you may be thinking of in Scripture. that says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The translation of that doesn't mean what you think it means. The actual word means to be complete, 
to recognize where your wholeness is, to be a whole person and to not be giving away part of yourself to addiction, to sinful things that, you know, to different identities, to things that define you other than God's definition of you as a beloved son or daughter of the Father. Um, And so to recognize, like, Jesus came down into our humanity to redeem us from within. He could have reconciled it. He could have just like shouted from the heavens and been like, you know what? Uh, You're all good. I decided that uh, it's, you know, let's just call it, let's call it square and, uh, and uh, you're all good from here. Just keep, uh, keep trying your best. Right. He could have done that. Right. He could have just, but no, like he decided to give such importance to our humanity that he would dwell within it, that he would take it on himself. We can't divorce humanity for that reason, for the incarnation. Reason number two, Jesus became man so that we might know God's love. This idea that we have to elevate, that we have to change ourselves and become something other than our human nature, that we have to become like divine, is not something that, that we teach. It's not something that the church believes, not something God ever said to us. It's something we have created for ourselves because of the sense of pride, like, oh, I've got it figured out. I know what it means to walk in the Lord. Um, so I'm going to do all these great things and I'm going to, I'm going to ascend to this new level of human existence. No, like Jesus came so that we would know how much God loves us, that God would literally die and wants to save us so much that he would literally die so that he wouldn't have to spend a moment without us in this life or the next, that he came to do the work. And what we need to do is not mimic that work. We don't need to put ourselves through all this suffering. We don't need to reconcile ourselves. We just need to accept the work that he did. And when we accept it, our life is going to be a response to that. Yeah, we're going to live differently, but it doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. We strive for being the best that we can be. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up, that we're not going to fall. In uh, the third reason for the incarnation is that Jesus came to be our model for holiness. Now, I think when we hear this, you might say like, well, if Jesus is the model for holiness, he never sinned. So if we're meant to be holy, we're never supposed to sin. No, to be holy means to be set apart. So the the passage of scripture, this quotes, says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What was the yoke of Jesus? That he was going to have to lay down his life, that he was going to have to suffer, that he was going to have to basically give way to his fallen human nature which would end in his death. He would have to accept his own death. And it goes on. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me to recognize if you accept your death and that I am the way of redemption in that death, then that's all you need. So it's not about saying that Jesus came to be our model for holiness, that we have to be like Jesus, that we have to be like God and be perfect and never mess up. It's to recognize that Jesus set himself apart in a way that we can set ourselves apart. But whereas he did it by his own power and his own strength, we can rely on his power and his strength to do it in us. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to accomplish it. He already did. And the fourth and final reason for the incarnation is that we would become partakers of the divine nature, that we would get to experience his divine nature. And again, you can misread this. We can misread this and say, okay, that means we then get to be like God. No. 
That's not what it's saying here. It says, as it elaborates in, in paragraph 460 of the Catechism, this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of man, so that, by, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word, and thus receiving design sonship, might become a son of God. That he is revealing to us our divine adoption, that we belong to God. For the Son of God became man so that we might become God, the only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. And we can read that and say, okay, I need to be perfect. I need to be like God. But no, what he's saying is divine nature to recognize that we have a belonging there, that we have a sense of adoption, that we are divine sons and daughters of a divine father. But that doesn't mean divine in the same way it means divine for God. We cannot be like God in the sense that we are perfect, that we never sin, that we have the sense of knowledge and immortality. Like those those preternatural gifts, they're not part of our human nature and they never will be this side of heaven. We have to recognize there is still a separation there. <clears throat> and that if we create this staircase of spiritual perfection that we are constantly climbing that is unattainable, then we're constantly going to feel like God is far and that we're not good enough, or we're going to uh, convince ourselves that we're further along than we are and that everyone else is behind us, that we've got it figured out, that we know the right way to practice, that we know the right thing to do, and everyone, the church, other Christians would be better off if they did what we did. And both of those are just lies. They either make us too self-deprecating or too proud, and they ignore the fact that Jesus has a human nature. So I'm not saying any of these reasons don't have that that divine uh, uh, nature in them as well, and that we shouldn't be, you should be striving always for a deeper relationship with God, a more profound prayer life, uh, better habits, allowing God to be in every part of your life, allowing you to become a better person, the best version of yourself. But you have to recognize that the best version of yourself is still human. The best version of Jesus' self, self was still fully human. Yes, fully divine, but also fully human is the best version of Jesus. And that he's not now just like only divine up in heaven. He's still fully divine, fully human, fully having had experienced our human nature. He still retains that. That's church teaching. And so if we only pay attention to his divinity, it negates the entire purpose of the incarnation. Because like I said, he could have just snapped his fingers. He could have come down um, to just you know, be like, hey, I'm full grown with a briefcase here, ready to go. I just want to let you know uh, heaven is open uh, and I'm, I'm here to redeem that for you. I'm here to reconcile you. I'm paying your debt. Just listen to me, do the things that I say, and you'll be great. And he wouldn't have had to, cruci- to, be di- to, to die. He wouldn't have had to suffer. But he chose to show that inhuman nature of offering yourself as a sacrifice, of recognizing your own weakness, your own death, your own frailty, there is strength and there is victory. Is as St. Paul writes, For when I am weak, I am strong. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It's not about perfection. It's about recognizing anytime you sin, anytime you succumb to your human nature, anytime you fall, anytime you go to something of the world, it's not a disqualifier for you being a Christian. It's a reminder to you that you need a Savior. And that you need to continue to accept that each and every day and lean into that and let your life be a response to that and not in competition with that. It's about having that sense of humility. And that's what Jesus did. He came to be human, not to make us inhuman. 
He came to make us more than we are, give us the potential to be more than we are, but the more than we are now is still going to be human. Still going to be human. And even after everything, even when the second coming happens, what's going to happen? Our bodies will resurrect. That thing that makes us human will still be with us. And yes, we'll be in a glorified body so that that we will be different. We'll have capabilities um, that we didn't have before. We'll have a a divine innocence that we don't have um, now because of original sin. We'll be able to partake in that in, in a different way. But our humanity is still going to be there. We're still going to have that sense of perfected humanity as it was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, But even then, our human nature still existed. It still was important. And this idea of God becoming human, God coming to the ground, to the earth, that's where the word humility comes from. That root word, humus, means earth, means ground. He came, that's what humbling, being humble means, is to ground himself, basically, to become earthly. And his, that humanity, that humility, and it, it cannot be superseded or overshadowed by his divinity. Look at Philippians chapter 2, that beautiful old Christ hymn, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have your, your, among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, that he who was in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped. He recognized in his human nature that it's not about being equal to God. But what does it say? Rather, he emptied himself, humbled himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that his lordship, his glory, his exaltation by God the Father comes principally because of his humanity and because of his humility to empty himself, that he didn't call down fire and brimstone on the cross like he could have. He didn't fall prey to those temptations that people that people were asking him to, to say like, oh yeah, call down the angels. He's calling out to God, as it says in scripture, and he doesn't do that. What does he do? He quotes one of the Psalms, one of the human aches. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yes, that Psalm ends with a, st- a song of glory and God's victory. So he's not doubting God in that moment, but he's allowing the human emotion, the human experience of pain and agony to shine through. And so, I mean, what do we glean from this? Why is this important to know Jesus's humanity? Because we have to understand how close Jesus is to us in our worst moments, in our most emotional and human moments. And I think we forget that. We make Jesus this pious, um, stoic person. We make him less personal. And so what I want to invite you to do in your prayer is to be emotional, acknowledge your emotion, and invite Jesus into that emotion and invite that emotional Jesus into that emotion. If you're happy, Invite Jesus laughing so hard food is coming out of his mouth, sitting at the table with you, sharing a meal. Invite him to be happy and rejoice with you. That Jesus, not just like hands folded, eyes looking down with a smirk on his face, Jesus. I mean, yes, there's beautiful art and images and a beautiful uh, reminder of God's divinity there, of Jesus' divinity, that he is the son of God. I don't want to downplay that. I want to upplay his humanity because we've downplayed it far too much. When you're sad, Like, don't just see Jesus as like, 
yeah, I get it. I've been there. I was on the cross, like just kind of like a compassionate with this kind of sad, empathetic look on his face. But like, imagine Jesus is there with you, like crying out, punching the ground with his fists, like weeping, ugly snot crying with you, that he gets it, that he's there right next to you, experiencing that with you. When you're angry and you're festering and you're stewing, have Jesus, have angry Jesus there with you. Just like, yeah, man, I want to crack a whip at those unjust things that happened. Now, not to let that allow you to get into sinful anger and not to let, you know, the experience of God being sad with you to go into like depression or suicidal ideation or anything like that. Like, don't let it uh, compound it in a bad way, in an earthly way, but to recognize Jesus gets it and he wants to be with you in it. And you don't have to ignore your emotion to get to a place where he is right there with you face to face, experiencing what you're experiencing that you don't have to bury your feelings and go through the motions, the pious stoic motions of faith to be related to, to, to be uh, with Jesus face to face. When you're afraid, imagine him there with you in the garden, probably shaking, shivering, sweating blood, tears of stress probably coming out of his eyes, like, you know, teeth chattering, like not knowing how much this is going to hurt, <clears throat> how awful it's going to be. Having an idea of it, but not knowing what that pain is going to feel like. Allow him to be with you. Allow emotional Jesus to be with you in your emotions. Allow human Jesus to walk with you in your humanity and to recognize that he was human. You know, we perfect his humanity. We act like, well, Jesus, yeah, he was human, but he probably never got sick. He probably never burped, probably never passed gas. Like, no, like Jesus went to the bathroom. Think about that. Like, I know that's a weird thing for me to highlight, but like Jesus probably uh, got sick. He probably threw up in his life. You know, he probably had a fever, probably um, had B.O., you know, and the saints too, you know, think about that. The Pope even, people who are alive, the Pope probably has B.O. If he's sweating and working all day and he wears all those layers, like, you know, like he's human. We deify these people and make them like unattainable. And so the idea of being a saint or being like Jesus becomes this, this ungraspable image, this reality that we could never attain for ourselves. But to recognize, like, no, he lived a human life. Mama Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, she had PMS. She probably had period cramps. Like, ladies, when you're, like, curled up with a heating pad and all you want is chocolate or to die or cry, like, Mama Mary's like, yeah, girl, I know. Like, I've been there. I got you. And, you know, we have this idea that they didn't experience those things. Young moms, when you're breastfeeding and it's painful because breastfeeding is painful or it's frustrating, Mary had those same frustrations, those same pains. It wasn't this pious, like, everything's perfect. Everything worked out perfectly. There was no pain. Like, Mary had pain in pregnancy. She was human. I know there's some theological speculation that she didn't, and I think that's ridiculous because just because she never sinned and was preserved from original sin doesn't mean that she wasn't human and that her body wasn't subject to pain, you know? And yes, that was the punishment for original sin in Genesis, and so there's theological speculation that she didn't, you know, have that. And that could be true, but I think that doesn't mean she didn't experience other pain in her life, other results of her being human, you know? Um, And Jesus did too. You know, I mean, we see that as evidence on the cross. Like he obviously experienced pain. So why do we completely forget that he experienced all other human emotion? Like imagine Jesus going through puberty and his voice changing and him awkward and having zits. Like that happened. That's a real thing that happened to him. He was human. He didn't, he didn't decide not to go through that portion. Like he became the most vulnerable. He became a baby and lived a human life 
And because we don't have a lot of information about that time, I think we just make it this perfectionistic ideal that like, oh, everything was great. He, you know, never got a splinter when he was working in the carpentry shop with Joseph. He never hurt himself. Like, no, he probably did. He probably did. He cried. He wept. He was angry. He was frustrated. He was tempted. He never succumbed to temptation, but he was tempted. He was anxious. He was sad. He was joyful and happy. He laughed. He joked. He probably got sick. He probably felt bad. He probably was worried. Like, let that Jesus, that human Jesus, be with you in every single moment of your day. So when it says in Scripture, pray without ceasing, you know, prayer's a relationship. Be in relationship with God without ceasing. Don't make it so impossible that you have to go, you know, into this super holy place that smells like incense and sit there and be totally quiet for you to connect with God and realize, like, if you're having a meal with friends or if you're running from place to place or if you're at work and you're stressed out, like, Jesus is with you and he's had experience that relates to that. And he was with you and he's, he's he loving you in that moment that he was human. <clears throat> I want to invite you to pray about that and let that kind of transform your image of Jesus. And what sometimes helps me is to completely um, imagine Jesus at a different age than I typically imagine him. So most of us imagine Jesus as an adult, um, either doing his ministry during his crucifixion or resurrection, or some of us will characterize Jesus as a baby. Um, we typically don't imagine Jesus as a teenager or as like a five-year-old, you know, um, we just, we don't, you know, we might have that image of him in the temple, um, but I'm talking like moody teenager, you know, like we don't, we don't depict that. I and mean, there's very few images apart from him being in the temple of him as a teenager or as a young person. Um, and so I invite you to kind of play with that a little bit or him when he was like 18 or 20, when he was still just doing the family trade, taking care of his mom, uh, living a normal human life. Um, other people around him at his age getting married and him having to be like, no, like I'm setting myself apart, like watching that go by, you know? Um, yeah, I just think like there's there's a lot there in those that hidden time of Jesus and the hidden humanity of Jesus that we miss. And that's such a detriment to the ability that we have to experience relationship with him and for him to be present to us in any moment, in our worst, best, our most emotional moments each day. And so if that's a struggle for you or you you, you need some help in, on the intercessory level, I want to share with you a quick story of a saint that I think really taps into this. Um, and that's Saint Longinus. You may have heard this name. We don't know too much about this saint. His feast day is October 16th. But Longinus is the name given to the unnamed Roman soldier who pierced the side of Jesus with a lance um, when he was at the crucifixion. And in some medieval and modern Christian traditions, he's also... Um, uh, described as a convert to Christianity, well, obviously, because he's characterized as a saint. Um, and he, his name actually appears in one of the Gospels that didn't make it into the Bible. It was an apocryphal Gospel. It's called the Gospel of Nicodemus. Um, and But it was on par with some other things in church history. Um, and so that story um, is said to um, um, have been done by St. Longinus. Um He's also sometimes identified also as the centurion who's there at the crucifixion who says, um, truly, this man was the son of God. Um, that's like Matthew 27, uh, verse 54, Mark 15, 39, Luke 23, 47, John uh, 19, 34. You can see these in the show notes. Uh, you can go see who I'm, I'm talking about. But if you've, you know, you've been to church in Lent ever, you've probably, you know, you've 
know who this character is. Uh, so this legend of him grew over the years to the point that he was said to have converted to Christianity after the crucifixion. May or may not be true, um, but he's traditionally venerated as a saint in our church. Um, and so um, ask for his intercession. Um, and for any of the other humans that were there that saw the human nature of Jesus played out in his death, um, St. John, Mama Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, but all just other bystanders, people who probably are in heaven because of resulting that, but they're not officially canonized saints, like, you know, ask for their intercession. And so I want to end uh, with this prayer in praise of Christ's humanity. Um, and I'll include this in the show notes as well, because I think it's really beautiful. O risen Lord, your body was part of your power rather than you a part in its weakness. For this reason, you could not but rise again if you were to die because your body, once taken by you, never was or could be separated from you even in the grave. I keep your most holy body before me as the pledge of my own resurrection. Though I die, as I certainly certainly shall die, it only means that my life is changed for I shall rise again. Teach me so to live as one who believes the great dignity and sanctity of the material frame in which I am lodged. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope this podcast episode was beneficial to you. Uh, please, the highest compliment you can pay to us is to shout out to us on social media, share these episodes with your friends, or leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this podcast. Please give us feedback. Let us know how you like this episode. If you have further questions, if something was confusing to you that we can elaborate on in a future episode, or if you have topics and suggestions for future episodes. And if this podcast means anything to you, um, I... I ask that you humbly consider supporting this podcast financially for as little as $1 a month. It does cost money to host this podcast on a website, to pay for that uh, domain hosting, uh, for other materials and things. And then as we get merchandise off the ground, there's going to be costs associated with that. But as a patron, you will get some of that merchandise sent to you for free. So uh, there's benefits there. And um, we'll continue to be utilizing um, you know, our, that patronage for special sneak peeks and previews. I know we haven't been that good at that lately. And I so appreciate those of you who are patrons for for continuing to listen and support this podcast. Know that uh, we're so grateful for you. Uh, this podcast would not be possible without you, your prayer, your financial support, and we are going to be uh, doing things especially for you in the future. So thank you for uh, being patient with us. Um, but with that being said, Please follow us on social media. Let us know how you like this episode, uh, especially on Instagram, at Thought, all spelled out. And uh, until we see you next time, know that we're praying for you, and we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.